I have to tell you, it was about the second week of my time away when I was staying at Mepkin Abbey with all the Trappist monks this summer that I decided that when I got back here to All Saints, I would want to preach these first three Sundays after my return. Of course, I knew I was going to preach that first one on rally day, but I thought to myself, you know, I really need to keep going to make use uh, for all of this time that I'd missed being at the pulpit. Yes, I knew that it would be a well-deserved gift for our wonderful Mother Lisa after a summer of preaching for the majority of Sundays while I was away, and she certainly has seemed very thrilled to have these last three Sundays off from preaching. Not that she's not had a lot of other things to do. But really, beyond just giving Lisa a break, I also knew from the very start that I was going to be building up so many things that I wanted to share from preaching during my time away. And that I had to give myself these first three Sundays just to get some of it out to all of you. Really, when you've been a priest for the amount of time I have now been a priest, everything that you ever do becomes a potential for a sermon. It's just how it goes. So just imagine a preacher priest who goes off to a monastery, hangs out with monks, and doesn't have the opportunity to get into a pulpit for over a month and a half. I'll be honest with you, there were more than a few occasions when it was hard for me to call Audrey on the phone and not turn our phone conversations into a bit of a preaching of a sermon. And I tell you what, my wife absolutely loves being preached to by her husband while he's off and away. So I totally foresaw myself ready to preach way back at the beginning, and that's what I've been blessed to be doing over these last three Sundays back here at All Saints. But there was something that I totally forgot to do as I was thinking about all these sermons I wanted to preach. I forgot to look at the scripture readings assigned for these first three Sundays in which I'd be preaching. The scripture which I would be required to tie into the many stories and experiences that I wanted to share in my sermons. Thanks be to God, that hasn't really been that big of a deal. At least not until the gospel that was assigned for this third Sunday morning of my time back. Suffice it to say that if you were paying attention to the gospel reading, every priest I know stresses over having to preach a sermon that includes this morning's reading from Luke. That's the case chiefly because this morning we find Jesus Christ using a word which Audrey and I won't even allow our four-year-old daughter to say right now at this point in her life. Jesus begins this morning's tough reading by proclaiming this, whoever comes to me and does not hate father and mother, wife and children, brothers and sisters, yes, even life itself cannot be my disciple. If you weren't paying attention a minute ago, I bet that caught your attention now. And really, no matter how many times I've heard this passage, it never gets any easier when we arrive on this day. And that's because Jesus isn't saying that whoever does not dislike father and mother can't be his disciple. It's not whoever disagrees with spouse or their children, or whoever is not willing to argue against brothers and sisters. No, Jesus uses the very strong, harsh word of hate 
Whoever doesn't hate their mother and father, wife and children, brothers and sisters, yes, even life itself, cannot be his disciple. And every three years, when we arrive at this scripture passage, it is Jesus' choice of that particular word that causes all of us preachers to just want to pick up the Apostle Paul's letter to Philemon or that wonderful story of the potter from the Old Testament reading from the prophet Jeremiah. And truthfully, our mainline church today isn't helping with the consternation and concern we preachers face over this gospel passage. I mean, our national church has pretty much changed its old slogan, the Episcopal Church welcomes you, to a variety of slogans with the word love at the center. Our very energetic and wonderful world-renowned presiding bishop, Michael Curry, has proclaimed over and over again from pulpit to television to YouTube that love is the way. He's even set up a program called The Way of Love to be the core to set up practices for today's Episcopalians to help us live a Jesus-centered life. So if love is the way, how are we supposed to make sense of the one individual we proclaim as the Lord of love, Jesus Christ, telling his disciples and those with ears to hear this morning that anyone who does not hate their family members cannot be his disciples. That's certainly no love contained there. So really, what in the world are we to make of Jesus this morning? Well, get ready because I suspect that what I'm about to say might not exactly be what you expected to hear. Because here's the deal. Right now, more than ever before, after my time away with the monks at Mepkin and after my few weeks back through Hurricane Dorian and staring ahead into the year that's coming towards us as a church, after all of that, I've decided that I would not want to be preaching on anything else this Sunday morning. And that's the case because truly, I absolutely believe that right now, this particular proclamation of Jesus in the Gospel of Luke, chapter 14, verses 25 through 33, may be the most important teaching of Jesus in the entire New Testament. Yes, I believe it. And when I say that, I mean more important than the Sermon on the Mount more important than the parable of the Good Samaritan and the prodigal son, even more important than the birth narratives of Jesus, which we'll read again when we come to Christmas Eve and Christmas Day. And why in the world would I seem to want to be derailing the Jesus movement of love by proclaiming that Jesus using the word hate is the most important verse in the New Testament? Well, simply because for us, As Jesus followers in 2019, this may be the only verse left in the gospel that still has the great power to unsettle us a bit. It is perhaps the only set of verses left that right here and right now truly continues over and over again to catch us off guard every time we hear it. And if we're honest, to rattle us to the very core. You see, as we clergy often try to describe the way you might potentially be feeling this morning when you hear Jesus say that to be his disciples, you must actually hate your mother and father and children is exactly just how off-putting Jesus' beloved parable to the Good Samaritan would have been to his Jewish followers when they first heard it 2,000 years ago. 
We're supposed to reach out and help the foreigners, the Samaritans? No way. And it would have also brought on the same kind of raised eyebrows and worried looks of concern as his Sermon on the Mount must have produced in the crowds when Jesus first preached that powerful sermon on a hillside overlooking the Sea of Galilee. We're supposed to do what to reach the kingdom of God? These verses today, brothers and sisters, in our all-you-need-is-love culture should shake us up and do exactly what God intended for them to do in the very beginning. They force us who usually sleep through a Sunday morning, and I ain't going to point out anybody here, to wake up, to listen to the verses again with fresh, concerned, interested ears, to scratch our heads and to think it through more completely so that if we are the people of today proclaiming Jesus Christ to be what the church has said he always is, We must make the decision on what faith in God really should mean to us right now in our lives and in our nation and in the world each and every single day. And how that faith we say we believe should not just be dead words, but should be actions impacting our life in every way and every step we take. Because here's the thing, brothers and sisters, if Jesus really is all that the church proclaims, if he really is far more than just some wise Jewish teacher who lived and died 2,000 years ago, if he truly is the resurrected God incarnate, the word that was the breath of God when the world was born in the beginning, then shouldn't our love and dedication to him be absolutely above everything else? If we really do believe that the answers to all our hard questions and all our struggles are contained within the example of a God who loved us so much that he walked in the midst of us to show us the way, laid down his life in order to save us and deliver us from the darkness and destruction of the power of death. If that is truth, then isn't our Christian faith what should be the foundation of love upon which all of our physical love is based and flows out of? And if we really did allow ourselves to let go and let God for such focus and dedication that we ourselves start working daily to achieve the very divinity which God intended for us when he created us as the Imago Dei, as a person made in the own image of God, as God's children, wouldn't that be worth more than anything else we have to do in our lives? Shouldn't we detach ourselves from anything that might draw us away from this abiding love that comes to us through God and Jesus Christ. If yes is your answer to any of those questions, and if you are finding that your yes is moving through you and unsettling you and shaking you up in your struggling life at this present moment, then Jesus has accomplished everything he intended to do in the Gospel of Luke this morning. And it is the most important verse of Scripture to be proclaimed in this world today. You see, friends, love really is the way. Our church is 100% correct about that, thanks be to God. But the love we're talking about here this morning is the love that comes from the Greek word keratos, 
And caritas is an incredibly deep love that can only truly flow between the created and their creator, between us and God alone. All the other Greek words for love tie us to the physical. And though the physical love that we can have for everything in our lives can absolutely without question be good, be positive and a blessing, it simply can never extend to that caritas love that is the love only God offers for us. Physical love, as wonderful as it can be, as we all certainly know, can also become dark, addictive, detrimental, and objectifying. It can become something that overwhelms us and takes away our true freedom to love God completely and to carry out the mutual love God intended for us to have, not just for ourselves, but for others and for all of creation. A truer love that can absolutely change everything in this dark and fallen world. Our love for our families, our love for our social groups and our clubs, for our political parties and our ideologies, for our home community and our beloved nation, as much as these loves can be enriching and important, they can also become the very life-draining addictions that block out our ability to love anything else other than what we want and what our needs are. It is physical love which can quickly turn something like a healing medicine or an enjoyable activity, or a smartphone, or a person into an object and into an idol. And idolatry, brothers and sisters, has always been the greatest sin against God from the very beginning in Holy Scriptures. A God who is beyond the idol, a God who is eternal, who is spiritual, who is unending. That is what Jesus today wants us to be ready to detach ourselves from so that we can move into that true love that is beyond all others. So Jesus this morning takes the word love and he turns it upside down using the word hate to disturb you and to shake you up so that we all might wake up and see that fleeting love that possessions and physical attachments have for us gives us nothing in the end. Love only through that is something that fades and passes away no matter how glorious it feels to us in the moment. Does Jesus really want us to hate our families? Of course not. But he wants our love for families to flow out of the greater mutual love that is created by a deeper love for God first and above everything else because that expands our families. That expands everything we do. That reaches out and gives this faith and this love the chance to change the whole world. And yes, to be his disciples, we must give up all the possessions that possess us. We must cast off and hate things that lead us to idolatry in order to reset our lives the way God intended to put God's love first and to change everything else that flows from it. Love is absolutely the way, but only the way that comes when it begins with the love we share between God and our creation. Amen.